Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness Podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. It's been a while since we recorded one of these. I apologize for that. Uh, We had, of course, the NCAA tournament and all the craziness that goes with that. When the season ended, of course, we needed to kind of reset our lives a little bit after the insanity that is March. But we are back. We have the first of what is hopefully going to be a continuing series for you running at least throughout the off season and into the season if we're lucky. We're going to call it the Coaches Show here on the podcast, and the goal is simply to talk to a head coach in Division One mid-major basketball every week, every other week, however often we are able to do it. Talk to them about their team, the upcoming season, what needs to be done over the summer, and whatever else is going on in the news in college basketball as it pertains to their team. So we have the first one for you today, and it is with the new head coach of the Belmont Bruins. That is, of course, Casey Alexander. Yeah, let's uh, just get started. I I wanted to start with you because obviously you're going from one very successful mid-major program to another. Um, I know, you know, Belmont's where you played. You've been an assistant there. Uh, What was it that ultimately drew you back when this opportunity came up? Yeah, I mean, it was a very difficult decision um, to begin with uh, because both both programs are in good shape and both have a lot of really good things going for them. Um, I think I think just the uh, the longevity of success at Belmont uh, was a little bit of a difference maker. Um, you know, the program is, I think, a little bit better positioned in recruiting and facilities and campus and, you know, things that are important for the job and the sustainability of success so um and you know and just my familiarity with the school and the program and the people you know was probably what made it you know the easiest if i had to move um, or if i had to uh go into a situation you know a program that i was not familiar with there's no chance that i would have made the change yeah i mean it helps that it's in the uh in the same city as where you were you don't have to move um I, you know, you, you talked about the tradition of success and the facilities and everything that Belmont has going for it. So much, if, if not all of that, is because of the job that Rick Bird did there over his tenure from the NAI days through this season. Uh, just wondering how much he's meant to you as, as a coach and a mentor and everything that you've learned from him. Yeah, it's hard to quantify, really. Um, you know, naturally spending 20 years with him you know a lot of my basketball dna is you know that's where it was developed um you know we're, we're very the way that we want to run a program and so forth um, very very similar and so you know i gotta give him you know you know most of who i am as a basketball coach and really as a person in a lot of ways and how i run a program is is all you know all that de- was all developed uh during my time with him so um and I'm lucky to be able to say that. Yeah. What, what is, what's his approach to running a program and how have you sort of modeled that? Well, I think the main thing is, um, you know, have a clear picture of, you know, of what you think it takes to be successful where you are. And, um, you know, in the eighties and nineties as an NAI program, that was get the right kind of kid that'll play, 
together and represent the school well and um, do things the right way. And that's a great, that should be a great formula for success as long as you've got some good players. And, um, and so what's probably most gratifying to him and, and any of us that spend a lot of time in the program is that never changed. Um, even though division one is a much better level and, um, you know, and you see that this year was where the program is able to get an at-large bid. Um, you know, the profile is still the same. It's still really good kids, um, you know, that are student athletes first. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know. I mean, Belmont's had more academic All-Americans than any school in the country over the last, whatever, 20 years we've been Division One. And, um, you know, so that's still the profile. And, um, you know, he never wavered from that, never compromised uh, any of that. And we would all still say it, it's still the reason why we win. Yeah, uh, and and as great of a spot as the program is in now, as you said, earning an at-large bid, now you come in and you sort of have to follow that. You have to be <laughs> the coach right after Rickford. And what's, what are the challenges that come with that? Yeah, there are definitely challenges. You know, I've tried to eliminate most of it just by being honest and saying that, you know, I'm not as good of a guy as he is, and I'm not as good of a coach. So once we, now that we can put that behind us, um, just go out and do the best job that we can. And, um, you know, I, I think um, it's obvious that, you know, the one thing that they were interested in me for the job for was just because there are a lot of similarities. And um, and I recognize, you know, what the program's all about and can maintain that and continue to, to, you know, have that mentality with it, you know, but at the same time, we're also different. Um, you know, we're not the same people. We, we look at situations different. We look at, you know, practice planning differently. We, you know, so there's, there's going to be plenty of change, you know, but I think um, to the casual observer, it'll probably be hard, you know, to discern. Yeah. Has he had any advice for you over the last few weeks as, as you've gotten started? No. Um, but a lot of that's because, I mean, you know, he and I stay in pretty regular communication throughout the year, you know, and, you know, and we're not, we're not typically talking X's and O's uh, in those conversations when we meet for coffee or lunch or whatever we're doing. You know, we're really just talking about the jobs that we have and you know, what makes them tick and that sort of thing. So, so there wasn't really any kind of uh, okay. Here's what you got to look out for. Here's what you got to be ready for. Um, I, I was pretty aware of those things already. Right, and and you have had you know significant experience already as, as a head coach yourself. What what have you learned? I guess since leaving Belmont the first time and getting a chance to lead a program yourself uh, that maybe you didn't know before, and how's that going to help you? Well, I think just just having to take over two different programs already um, has well helped me tremendously. It already has. Um, you know, no matter how familiar I am with Belmont and the team, you know, relationally, I don't have I don't have that with the players, and that's going to take some time. Um, building a staff, you know, is is part of that equation. Um, you know, but I've, but having done that twice in the last eight years and had some success with that, you know, I think I'm much more prepared to take over than I would have been. You know, naturally there are a lot of decisions that go into being a head coach, mostly off the floor, honestly, um, that I've had to deal with. So I will be better prepared for those circumstances when they arise. Um, you know, and so I just, it's a much better place for me. I feel much more comfortable, much more prepared 
uh, after being a head coach at Stetson for two years and Lipscomb for six than I would have been had I stayed at Belmont the entire time and, and just taken over, you know, from an assistant spot. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like whenever we talk to a new head coach, one of the first things they have to do is say is kind of re-recruit their own team. Um, having some familiarity with who they are because, you know, you've played against them a few yeah. times. It, it, did that, help or how, how have you tried to make that transition on the players uh yeah i would say that it helped um it was really a pretty easy transition um i would actually we had actually recruited three or four of the players to begin with and had good relationships with them already and then the familiarity with the players and you know just from scouting purposes and being in the same town and following the team closely that made it easy for me to have those initial player meetings and that sort of thing so um, yeah, so that was more beneficial than anything else, um, you know. But I'll also say this: it's one of the good things about about Belmont is, you know, they've been in a program uh, and at a place that they really like, you know. So it wasn't a situation where any of them were looking to jump ship and, um, you know, try to go find greener pastures. They're where they are. They all enjoyed and liked, and so it wasn't very difficult to get them to stay. Yeah, I'm, I mean, that's obviously a huge plus. Sure. Um, so then what What were your first – what have your first couple of weeks on the job been like? What have you been up to? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, pretty typical. Uh, you know, when you take over a new job, you know, there's there's just a lot of clutter <laughs> that you have to clean up. Uh, and when you don't have a staff, we didn't make official staff decisions until – you know, 10 days into it or so. And so I spent most of that time on my own. So, you know, after the media whirlwind subsides over the first few days, um, then you, I mean, you got, I mean, just the logistics issues, you've got human resources, you've got a new computer, you got a new office, you got new passwords, you've got new, you know, you've got new transportation. You got just a lot of things that take up your day that, that aren't even basketball related really, you know, and then you, at the same time, you're trying to, spend time with players, have meetings with players, get to know players, You're making a ton of phone calls to player families, uh, incoming recruits and their families, you know, top, uh, top level recruits for the next season. You want to make connections with them quickly. So there's a lot that goes into it, but it's all starting to settle down a little bit and feel a little bit more like a job. Yeah. So now, now that you're actually headed out to recruit the first, um, first weekend, I guess, that you could really do that as a Belmont head coach. Um, I, I'm curious how how you start with that because, yeah. of course, the, the staff was recruiting players for 2020 and beyond before you got the job. Now, how do you kind of pick up without losing any of that momentum? Yeah, well, I, don't, I hope we haven't lost any momentum, but there's, you know, we do have the benefit of the, the, the staff has been in place for a week basically and we've you know we spent a lot of time uh together and we've got the benefit of you know brian Ayers, who was the associate head coach with coach bird and tyler holloway was an assistant coach those two guys are staying on staff and then sean rotiliano who was with me at lipscomb is coming on to staff with me and so and we all knew each other to begin with and you know we're friends and that sort of thing so that part's been really easy so essentially we took the list of recruits that we had at Lipscomb and the list of recruits that they had at Belmont. And some of those guys 
a lot of those guys were the same. Um, and the ones that weren't just, you know, try to catch each other up and prioritize and give us a good plan going into the weekend. Yeah. Um, and, and now that you are headed to, um, to Atlanta this weekend, what, what is it that you can tell a recruit or somebody maybe that you want to come play for Belmont about the university that maybe they wouldn't already know? Yeah, well, that they wouldn't already know, I, I hope not a whole lot. But, um, I mean, you know, the natural thing that's going to draw kids' attention anywhere to begin with is just going to be the success level of the team. And, you know, you're talking about a mid-major in Belmont last year that was an at-large recipient, uh, you know, finished in the top, I think finished 39th maybe in the net rankings, um, you know, led the country in assists per game, led the country in two-point field goal percentage per game, led the country in assist turnover ratio per game, you know, pretty high-level success, especially offensively. Um, you know, beyond that, you're talking about a team that's gone to the NCAA tournament eight out of the last 14 years, I believe, and several NITs in between those years. Um, you're talking about a school that's, you know, one of the top five, in the, in the southeast region, according to U.S. News. Uh, you're talking about a school that can literally see downtown Nashville from the front doors of its campus. So there's a lot to sell, and um, and uh, so it's our job to get um, get those people on the campus and let them see it for themselves as soon as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the, re- one of the big reasons, I'd say, that, uh, that Belmont was able to get in that large bid last year is, say, played a really good schedule, and that included uh, playing you guys twice and, and winning both of those games. Right. Um, it's not very often, but I guess you're seeing it more and more that uh, mid-majors are scheduling home and home with each other uh, in the season. Just wondering, are you planning on continuing that series with Lipscomb? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's more of a university, university decision. I mean, it just makes too much sense. Belmont and Lipscomb were incredible rivals for a long, long time. NAIA days, and then when both teams were in the A-Sun together, um, you know, Belmont left the A-Sun six years or so ago, um, so that rivalry has changed a little bit, but, you know, we're two miles apart, and um, fan bases are pretty passionate about their schools and the rivalry, so it just makes too much sense to continue to play. Uh, It's a great home game for each team. It's a real easy road game for each team. Neither team has um, that much of a... uh, very difficult for both teams to schedule right now so yeah i would anticipate we'll continue to play yeah it's it's always tough for for mid-majors who are expected to be really competitive to get good games on on their schedule is that something you ran into a lot at Lipscomb, and i imagine you will continue to at belmont yeah i mean it became increasingly more difficult um to put it a schedule together uh last year after our 2018 NCAA tournament run, we had a really, really tough time with games and ended up putting a good schedule together ourselves. Um, I think our non-conference schedule at Lipscomb this last season was like in the 20s maybe, maybe 27 or something like that. So um, pretty pretty top-notch non-conference schedule. And um, and then this year was, gonna, was even worse uh, trying to put that together. And it's been that way for Belmont for a long time. Yeah, um, and – especially with Lipscomb last year kind of heading down the stretch as we were trying to figure out, you know, will you guys be in the at-large picture or not? We were getting a lot of people saying, well, they should have scheduled so-and-so. You know, this, this mid-major didn't have a problem getting a game with this team. And 
it seems like well, a lot of people don't get it, but you did get SMU, you did get TCU. Uh, did did you get a lot of people turning you guys down for a game? Uh, yeah, it was very difficult to put the schedule together. But again, I'll say, I mean, our, we had the 27th best non-conference schedule in the country. <laughs> so I don't know how much more right. we can do. You know, we play. Yeah, we 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 win at SMU and at TCU. Um, we we have a chance to win at Louisville. We play at Clemson. We play Belmont twice. Uh, we play Vermont, who's a top 75 team, uh, mid-major team, uh, you know, and then and then we kind of tried to piece the rest of it together. But, you know, there's 353 teams, which means that 326 of those have worse schedules than we did in the non-conference. So <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's very true. Uh, one, I guess one more question about Lipscomb, because they have hired a new head coach. Yeah. Uh, they hired uh, Lenny Acuff, and I'm just wondering what you think about that decision and how he's going to fare at Lipscomb. Yeah, tremendous hire. I know Lenny well. Um, Sean Rotiliano, who I mentioned earlier on our staff, worked with him in the early days. But um, uh, he is a heck of a basketball coach and um, has deserved an opportunity like this for a long time. Uh, he fits the profile that they're looking for. He will continue to recruit the same kind of players and have the same kind of program that we were trying to have when we were there. So I think it's a great opportunity for Lenny to walk into a good program, and I think it's a tremendous hire for Lipscomb to keep the program relevant. Yeah. Um, now, I, I can't not ask you, if you, you know, if you follow – college basketball even at all. You know what's been going on in New York this week, um, the court case surrounding, you know, this FBI investigation that's kind of been building over the last couple of years. Wondering if you saw some of the stuff that came out yesterday about these meetings in Vegas and money changing hands at the highest level of the game. Wondering, does any of that surprise you? How much of that kind of were you Uh, familiar with? Yeah, not familiar with it at all, honestly. Um, just have never been, never recruited at that level with those kinds of players and that kind of interest and handlers and middlemen and agents and money. And, you know, so that's that's a totally foreign world to me. Um, so I'm kind of learning it as it comes out. You know, am I surprised? I can't say that I'm all that surprised. Am I disappointed? Yeah, it's really disgusting that, that's the nature of our business and, you know, and what some people have been doing for a long time and what more and more people have been doing recently. Yeah. Um, so what, what in your opinion has to happen to try to either clean up the game yeah. or, you know, get the game out of the headlines in this sort of way? You know, that, that's a good question. And I definitely don't have the answers because um, it's a little bit of a foreign world to me, you know, but, you know, what I would say first is until the penalties are preventative, then I don't know how it will ever change. And, um, you know, I personally would say that those who are found guilty or can be proven that that's, you know, that they're asking for money or delivering money or, and you know, whatever, arranging for money, you know, I, I would like to see those coaches literally banned from the NCAA. Not a three-year show cause, not a five-year show cause, but, you know, you cannot coach in the NCAA anymore. Um, and then beyond that, you know, there, there will also have to be some other things just institutionally and 
through the NCAA that you know that helps. But you know, it's, it's like anything else; you're not ever going to clean it up entirely. Um, but you can't make it easy for people to cheat and do the wrong thing and get away with it. Um, you know, especially when when it's such a lucrative business these days for those coaches and you know that are at that level and everything else. Yeah, uh, I, I'm sure you're not the only person who would say. Um, that these coaches should be banned, but you would probably be talking about some of the biggest names uh, in the game. You would extend that to anybody who would be caught on these wiretaps or be able to be proven to have tried to pay for a recruit. I mean, that seems like you're going to be talking about a lot of people. Yeah, I honestly have no idea how many people we're talking about. You know, I don't know if it's 20 or 200, um, you know, and maybe, maybe there are different levels, uh, you know, I mean, is being aware, does that make you guilty enough or is it actually exchanging in a transaction? Does that make you guilty enough? That's the stuff that I can't really, you know, I'm not saying, Hey, if you've made a mistake, you can't ever coach again, you know, but, um, there's a big difference in, in you know, being affiliated with a school or a program that's done this and being the actual person that has done this. And, um, you know, but, you know, I mean, that's, I'm just one man's opinion. I, I, I don't care how good of a coach you are or how big your name is. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're arranging money for players in the NCAA and you're willing to do something that egregious that you know is, you know, there's not 1% of that that's okay, then I don't, I don't know why you should be able to coach in the NCAA. I mean, I, I, I think there's too much of a game, too much, too much integrity in the game, and too much to protect. You know, it's more important to me than how good, what level some coach is, and what his name is. Yeah, that, that's fair. Um, now, as, as a head coach of a competitive mid-major school, you, you're already sort of at a at a disadvantage in recruiting. You don't have the same resources as a Power Five school would. You don't have, you know, the name Duke or whatever on your jerseys. That makes a difference. It, how how much uh, does it anger you or upset you that there's even this level here that has made the playing field all the more unbalanced for you? Uh, um, you know, I, 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 I'll choose to say on that one that you know we can only control what we can control. <laughs> you know, let's let's do our job. Let's do it the best we can. You know, we're not going to keep other people from you know, taking advantage of rules or bending rules or, or flat-out cheating. And, uh, you know, we're not going to stand on the soapbox and, and try to point fingers at people either. Let's just control what we can control and do the best that we can at it. And, you know, we'll let the rest – we'll let somebody else who's more more qualified take care of the rest. Yeah, that's, that's fair. And and you're headed out to uh, go do just that, control what you can control and try to bring in some good uh, – some talent into the Belmont program. Um, I know, you know, there's a few weeks of um, about the evaluation period and all that coming up. Now, what's the rest of the summer look like for you as you try to get the program ready for next season? Yeah, well, it'd be adjustment, a recruiting adjustment for all of us just with the new, the new weekends and changes and trying to figure out how to manipulate that. Um, we still have virtually practically three weeks of for camps for kids on our campus uh, that are really, really successful and important for our program. So we'll do those. And then uh, we've got a summer trip in August that they haven't finalized yet. So I can't tell you where we're going because I'm not sure, but that'll be great for our team to get back and have some practice days and some competition um, before the season starts. And, and then we'll crank it back up and get ready for the school year. 
Yeah, um, coaches seem to love those trips, the international trips that you could get every few years. I I know you can't say where where you're going, but what what is it about those? Is it just the extra practice time, the extra time with the team against competition? Why do coaches seem to love those so much? Yeah, they, they serve different purposes. I mean, uh, we took our Lipscomb team to Italy last summer, you know, and we had a very veteran group that had played a lot of games together and a lot of experience. And so the practice time and the games that we played probably had very, very minimal effect on our season, um, if any. Um, and so that was really a reward for those guys, give them a once-in-a-lifetime learning experience, you know, in a place that maybe they would never go uh, on their own. And um, you can talk about that in recruiting. You can use that in recruiting. So those are, that's one angle of it. And then you've got another angle, like our team at Belmont this year, which is, um, you know, which we do have a new staff, and there's going to be new things, and there's going to be new style. There's going to be new terminology. And so so the practice portion and the game portion this summer will actually really be beneficial for our team, uh, without question. Yeah, and um... – uh, last thing, you mentioned a, a couple minutes ago the changes in the recruiting calendar. This is the first year, correct, that these changes yeah. have been in place. Uh, has that changed your approach at all? And for maybe someone who's unfamiliar with what those changes are, can you kind of run us through what well, that is? Essentially, yeah, recruiting in the past has been two weekends in April, three weekends in July that were all, you know, summer teams, AAU teams, for lack of a better way to put them, but the, the shoe circuits and, you know, and, and anybody else that plays on teams. And and so that made it really, really easy for, especially mid-majors, you know, to do some one-stop shopping. We could go to Atlanta and see 600 teams in a weekend if we wanted to, or Vegas or Orlando, wherever the tournaments were. And so financially and, and just also just that for evaluation purposes, it was a really pretty ideal scenario. Um, you know, but with all the recent accusations and wiretapping and FBI probe and everything else, they've tried to they're trying to take some of the outside influencers um, away from the recruiting process, bring it back to the high school coaches or the high school federations or whatever. So they've limited that now. So now there's one weekend in April and one weekend in July for those summer teams. And then everything in between is state run or high school teams or high school camps or whatever. So um, I don't think there's a coach. I'd be surprised if there's one, literally one coach out of 353 who thinks that the current model that we're going into this summer is better than the old one for what we're trying to do. I don't, I don't even think I'm cleaning anything up. Uh, so much less make it easier for the players or the kids or, or the coaches. Right. It, it seems like what, what it's doing is it's limiting the opportunities that a lot of players have to actually show what they can do in front of college coaches. Right. Um, I mean, it, it is taking – I mean, there's less emphasis maybe on, on the shoe uh, circuits and things like mm-hmm. that because uh, there's less access for us, but, but it's not changing anything. It's just making it more difficult. So schools like ours, mid-major conferences – you know, we'll we'll go back to being a little bit more regional, I think, because we just literally can't get to see as many kids as we would have in the past, um, and that'll make it more difficult. You talk about disadvantages in recruiting; there there will be one for sure. You know, the more money, more resources, where you can just hopscotch across the country, fly where you need to. Those schools will not be as impacted as the ones who, you know, are trying to make a budget work uh, in recruiting. Right. And 
and so I guess now you really have to look at talent in the Nashville area, the Tennessee area. Uh, is, is that a, a good place for basketball talent um, that you've seen? Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I wouldn't make, I wouldn't limit the scope that much, but we're, you know, it's probably a, you know, a southeast region is probably going to be really important to us or anybody mm-hmm. within five hours, and that's what you know where you can drive to pretty pretty easily. And so, and Nashville gives us that opportunity. I mean, we're within five hours. We've got St. Louis, we've got Cincinnati, we've got. Uh, Birmingham, Memphis, you know, we can almost get over to Charlotte, North Carolina. I mean, we, we're pretty essentially Atlanta, um, you know, so we can cover a lot of ground um, based on where our school is in Nashville, pretty centrally located. Right. I, ideally, would you like to see the NCAA go back to the old model? I like the old model better, for sure. <laughs> you know, I think it's, uh, it's, just, it's just better for the kids and it's better for the coaches. And, you know, I think that's what it is. The whole thing was supposed to be about is what's best for the kids and the coaches. You know, naturally, I'd like for them to also simultaneously clean up, you know, the just all the FBI stuff that's going on. But um, you know, I think you could try to I think you could try to do all a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you, you got to get to Atlanta. I'll let you go uh, in a second. But what? I guess I'll, I'll leave you with this. What would you say to any Belmont fan listening maybe isn't too familiar with what you've done in the past and what would you tell them to expect going forward with Belmont basketball? Yeah, I would expect it to look and feel the same. Um, you know, we're going we're gonna to work really hard to continue to get guys in our program that represent the university well and um, play really hard together and play really smart together and win a lot of games. And, um, that's, uh, it's been a winning formula, and I would be foolish to try to change it. And will you be wearing a sweater vest on the sideline of the game? Uh, we will not be wearing a sweater vest. Oh. There's only one that can pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time out. It was a, a great talk. Thank you. You bet. Thanks for asking. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Bin Major Madness podcast in the first edition of the coaches show. I know I said up top that we're going to try to do this as often as possible this summer. And I could tell you that we are going to have another one next week. It is with the head coach of the Furman Paladins. That is Bob Ritchie. We spoke last week about the historic season that Furman had this year and why things are looking up next season as well. So look out for that one. And in the meantime, be sure to Subscribe to the podcast. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. We are there. If you get a moment, please rate and review us as well. It certainly means a lot to all of us here at Mid-Major Madness. Until next time we talk to you, I am Russ Steinberg, and enjoy the rest of your week.